Pregnancy Uncut, a new podcast dedicated to telling the untold and unspoken stories of pregnancy complications. We are your hosts, Drs. Alex Umbers and Cara Thompson. Pregnancy Uncut acknowledges the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land with which we record this. A special welcome to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, especially the mothers, daughters, sisters and aunties. Content warning, heads up guys, this podcast contains materials on pregnancy loss and complications and it may be confronting. Hey Cara. Hi Alex. Today we are diving to a deep dark place Mm. and talking about stillbirth. So big content warning on this one. So it's something that no one really wants to talk about. It's our absolute worst nightmare, but sadly it does happen. And the reality is that every day on average, there's six families that are going through the loss of their baby, which adds up to about 2,000 2000 women, 2,000 families, 2,000 babies every year. And the huge effects that that has for the rest of their lives, um, it's something that we need to talk about because for the people who experience it, it's the single most dramatic thing that they will go through. And we need to learn how to learn their experience and learn how to, to talk about it. And it's so important that we, we talk about it and we, we hear stories like the one we're going to hear today because one, one common theme that comes out from women who have experienced this is they feel that we we as a community don't know how to talk about it and don't know how to address it and we push it down and we feel feel awkward and uncomfortable and, and for them that makes it feel like we're not recognising their loss and that the death of their baby isn't important. But in fact, I think that's related to us not having the strength and the, the words and the knowledge to be able to address it. So it's so wonderful um, and brave um, that Karina is coming on our show today to, to talk us through what she experienced. Yeah. And Cara, in terms of stillbirth, do we know what causes it? Not always. Really sadly, we often do a whole lot of tests and investigating and checking things with mum, checking things with bub and the placenta. And we often don't come up with any reason. And it's, it's an awful, awful concept that, that to have that someone's baby has died and we can't look at them and tell them why and give them an answer. But sadly, that is commonly the case. There is a few conditions that, that can cause stillbirth that we do know about and can clearly, um, identify the cause. One common cause and that's going to come up today is fetal abnormalities. So we all imagine our babies are going to be healthy and we we want them to be healthy, but sadly about 4%, so four in every 100 pregnancies are complicated by a fetal abnormality. And about a quarter of those, so about 1% of pregnancies that's a major abnormality that in some cases is fatal, um, so not compatible with life for the baby. Um, and that creates awful um, decisions um, and, and awful um, experiences um, that that family then has to deal with and navigate. Yeah. Well, let's hear from Karina about her story. Beautiful. Hello. On today's episode, we have Karina Vanderpoel. Welcome. Thank you. 
Karina, you've mentioned that how how much you talk about Georgina varies on any given day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What are you feeling like today? Um, I haven't felt like this in a little while, I think. Um, it's usually the feelings that I get when anniversaries or special occasions come up where it's a day where I have to <laughs> think and connect with feelings that day-to-day I would probably just put in my back pocket. Um Yeah, there are days where I'm just maybe not strong enough to talk about um, what happened. Um, There are days where I all I want to do is talk about it, and I'll call mum, and I'll call my sister, and I'll call my friends, and want to talk about her all day. Yeah, yeah. And why do you want to talk about baby Georgina with us? Um, I, I. I don't think I knew how important it was to hear someone else's story until I heard the episode you did with Kara. Um, uh, most of my friends and family haven't sent me things to read or um, um, yeah, things to watch, but my sister did, you know, slide into my DMs and kind of leave your podcast um, for me and said, you know, you might not want to, might not be interested, but here it is, you know, um, we know Kara. You might enjoy it, uh, might help. Um, and I kind of, you know, those kind of feelings, but I listened to your episode and it was the first time I'd heard someone speak the feelings that I felt, um, that James felt, and the experience um, you just, uh, yeah, just articulated it so well. And I think if I had heard your episode sooner, it, it would have really comforted me to know that um, I'm not alone. And I, I knew I wasn't alone, but to hear you speak about your experience was really important. So I feel like my experience is different to yours and maybe it will connect with other people in the way that it, yours did for me. Mm, yeah, we hope so too. And the other day you mentioned it, it sort of can feel like the same kind of ache, even though it's a similar experience. That's right. I, th- you know, no matter what the story is, where uh, what timeline you lose a child, uh, I think I can now say it's, it's, you know, you put it perfectly that you said, I think one of your doctors said it's a wound, a wound, an ache. Uh, it's a physical pain that um, never goes away. Take us back to the time when you and your partner started planning your family. Um, James was planning our family, I think, before we'd even talked about having a family. (laughs) Um, He's always wanted children and I think he'd have a million if he could. Um, We uh, knew that we were going to be together and get married very, very soon after we started seeing each other Um, and from the time we got married, James wanted to start trying. But um, I, you know, had a wedding that I was a bridesmaid for in Bali and had a few work things happening. So I kind of just put it off a little bit, um, just saying, oh, maybe, you know, in a couple of months or not not at all thinking about how long it might take us to try or if there were going to be complications. That never once came into my mindset. I'm, I'm a little bit older than James. Um, so I kind of had that feeling of, oh, you can't put it off for too long, um, you know, but as soon as the holiday in Bali 
you know, we were back home. We we thought we'd, we'd start trying. We were very lucky in that it only took um, a couple of months, a few months, um, and I was pregnant. Mm. Mm. And how did you feel when you got that positive test? Really excited and relief. Um, I was a bit sneaky, actually. James was on a buck's day and I... I knew that when I was ovulating, so I knew when I could start testing and um, I thought I should probably wait till he gets home, but I didn't. I tested when he wasn't there and I saw the positive and I had to sit with it all day until he came home, but he came home and he drank too much and I'm like, I can't tell him now when he's, you know, <laughs> going to be snoring next to me soon. So I had to wait till the next morning and I woke him up really early and I'm like, are you okay? And he sobered up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you start to tell your support network that you were going to have a baby? Um, I told my sister first really because I didn't think, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, what do I do now? Do I, do I have to book an appointment now? What, what, you know, what tests am I supposed to have? So um, I did call my sister and talk to my brother-in-law first and then my mum very shortly after um, and then, yeah, just told immediate family. Um, and then, yeah, waited till the 12 week mark, 13 week scan, you know, until you had the all clear to share it with family. Great. Mm. And then, so everything was looking good Yeah, 13 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And you headed in for your morphology scan at yes. about 21 weeks. That's right. Yes. What were you chatting about before you had your um, scan? We, you know, have our scans in Melbourne, in the city, and we, you know, it's always a bit of a rush to get there, trying to find a park, and James came from work, I came from Geelong, and um, we were just sitting there talking about what we're going to have for dinner, or just really, you know, day-to-day things, not even talking about what we would see in our scan, it was just, you know, are you hungry, what are we going to have? Yeah. I really now, in hindsight, take that for like, I, yeah, I, I, I've taken that for granted. That feeling of not having that heaviness, not knowing that from that scan, our lives and our, you know, us as people, we change forever. What was that experience of the scan like? Um, it was initially just, and you know, like the scan before it, uh, she, the isonographer, uh, went to, you know, first of all, we could hear the heartbeat straight away. So I think if I was going to have a concern, it would be hearing a heartbeat. Um, and there was a heartbeat. So it was great. And doing all the measurements and um, we didn't know if it was a, a girl or a boy at that stage. So it was, you know, thinking, I wonder if we can see anything, you know, like, that we weren't going to, we had no idea what we were looking for, but, you know, looking at the screen and going through different measurements. And then, um, then the sonographer was concentrating on the head and, uh, she was pretty chatty in the scan, but did go quiet with the head. And I think I made a joke saying, um, does it have a big head? Because our family are notorious for having big, big heads. And she didn't answer me. She was just concentrating on the screen and I felt sick straight away. Um, I looked at James, who was starting to feel uneasy. I could see he was looking at me with panicked eyes. Um, and I, I just I just knew something was up. When did the sonographer verbalise that she had concerns that there was a major congenital abnormality? Um, the sonographer turned the screen off 
and pretty much said your word straight away and said that there were parts of the brain not present that should be by this 20, really 18, 19 week stage. Um, Then to me, it just all went gibberish. I had no idea what she was talking about. She was speaking. I could see her lips moving. She was, um, it was just panic, I think. Now in hindsight, thinking back, I knew it was something was wrong, but I didn't know what that meant. You know, what does that mean? Are we going to have a baby? Are you saying that these issues are going to be life-threatening? I just, I yeah, I was really, really panicked in that moment. And very overwhelmed, I imagine. Very overwhelmed. And it did just feel very surreal. It was just like, is this, a, is this, is this happening? This can't be happening. Yeah, you, um, you went in talking about what you would have for dinner. Exactly. And, and suddenly you're faced with yeah. a complex, complex situation. That's right. What happened next? Um, James and I were both pretty panicked and scared um, and the sonographer suggested that we have an amniocentesis straight away just to get some more information. Um, I didn't really know much about an amniocentesis. I I think I thought that's dangerous too uh, and I, I don't know if I want to have this. Um, they put me in a you know, the, I, James and I call it now the sad room in the corner of the, the scanning um, facility and um, they asked if um, I wanted to talk to my obstetrician, which I did. I asked for advice and I could hear in her voice she was concerned but told me to have the amniocentesis and that we would debrief everything um, as soon as the appointment was over. I then called my mum um, who has experience as as a midwife, um, but also I just wanted to hear my mum and say, "What's you know, this is really bad. What's what's happening? Why why is this happening?" Um, also, you know, just trying to get as much information as I could. My brother in law works in the medical field, so I asked her to call him and get him to call me with what this meant for us. At this point, you and James have been given a diagnosis of a major congenital abnormality but you obviously needed more information to make some decisions. Yeah, yeah. What what did the next week look like? Um, it wasn't even a week, actually. It was those first few days of just reading, talking, you know, getting as as many, you know, information about from specialists and scans and as much as we could. Um, I think the whole time I was looking for a black and white answer, um, I was I was dying for it. I needed it. Um, James did too. We just we didn't want it to be grey because how how can you make a decision based on grey? Um, so every scan we went into, I was just praying that they would see what what they told me was not there, um, and that there wouldn't be more things that they would find. Um, you know, one specialist, especially that. Know, it's the, the one that was going to be hard to get into, but, you know, it's important that you see her. I real and apparently she's, you know, an incredible scanner and if she's going to find something and give you hope, it's going to be her. And we went into her room and, um, you know, within seconds of her um, looking at um, her brain, she told me that they were correct and that the, the part that wasn't there um, definitely wasn't there and, in fact, she could see a few other abnormalities. Yeah. And what did she say to you that sort of 
made um, it sink in? I think, um, you know, the whole time no one's going to tell you the right answer and what to do. But, you know, walking into office and after her scanning, her sitting me down and James down and saying, I'm really, really sorry, um, I guess that hit home, okay, this is bad. This is bad. And did you have a amniocentesis at all to get um, more information? Yeah, actually, it was her. The scan day, we, we, James and I call it, was the worst day. So not only did we get that initial um, information, which was life-changing, um, we also had the amnio that day um, within 20 minutes, I think, um, which is really invasive. <laughs> it's scary. It's a big needle. Um but I, I, I was willing to do anything. I'm like, just just tell me what to do. I, I needed someone to tell me what to do actually that day, step step by step. Um, it was, was also a day that we were in there for so long that my car got towed. You know, it was just one of those oh, horrific gosh. days. <laughs> was the amnio painful? Um, I remember it to be painful. Yeah, I, I, you know, it wasn't the worst, but it, it's it's a it's a big thing that's going into, you know, a part of you that you've been protecting for so many weeks and, you know, even someone touching my tummy was a bit funny about. So to have, um, a, yeah, a, a, quite a big needle go in and take quite a large amount of fluid, um, yeah, it was painful, but I didn't I didn't really care about the pain. I just, I had pain other way and elsewhere, sorry, at that time I was just very scared. At this point... You've been armed with as much information mm. as possible and faced with a decision no parent ever wants to make. No. What was going through your minds at that stage? Um, I think James and I, um, once the shock had finally worn off, we both knew what the decision was. Um, we... I think we, we both felt that it might, at that stage, knowing that uh, there, there were going to be huge um, issues for our baby, um, that as, as much as we were desperate to go on with this pregnancy and, and hope for a miracle, pray for a miracle, um, we needed to make a decision. Um, you know, but it's just something that I've never thought that I would have to make that James would have to make, you know, these, these things happen to, you know, neighbours, sisters, brothers, and you would, you'd think, oh, how, that's awful. What a horrible story. I never once thought we would be in that position. Um, you know, James and I were on the same uh, path the whole, whole way, thankfully, because I think if we weren't, it would have been a completely different story for us. But we were um, united in the most horrific decision we'd ever have to make. Having reached the harrowing decision to end the pregnancy, mm. what were the next steps? Um, this, you know, I would have, I think this is the point where I would have really, um, it would have helped to hear someone else's um, journey going through this because I didn't know what that meant. Um, and I only really was prepared because my brother-in-law um, is a doctor and has um, experience in this field. And he he told me, okay, well, um, 
this means, you know, they, they're going to recommend that, well, it's kind of really not an option anymore that you would have the baby naturally. I couldn't believe it. What do you mean? No, knock me out, wake me up when it's over. I can't do it. Um, that was shocking to me. Um, and, you know, because we were past the 20 weeks, you know, I was given all this information, it was going to be a legal birth, we'd have to name our baby. Um, again, no, don't tell me what I have, don't tell me what to do. I can't do it. James, I can't do it. Um, so initially it was shock and anger and how am I possibly going to do this? How, how how's James going to survive this? Um, it was really, really tough to hear the process. Um, in hindsight, I understand it now. Um, and I also do believe it's part of the grieving process of, you know, all the steps and stages. But initially, um, to hear that that's, you know, that I would have to give birth to our baby who wouldn't be alive was, was pretty sickening. Um, there were also other stages, you know, we were recommended um, to have a um, an injection that would end our baby's life um, before I would go into labour. Um, this was, you know, for a few different reasons, um, and so that's that's what we did. That procedure uh, was harrowing for James and I. Um, again, going back into the same scanning rooms where we were given the the diagnosis. Um, you know, that would be the same room that would um, be where um, her life was ended. And, you know, just, yeah, that was that was a really tough day. Um, and then, you know, you sit with, you know, that, that was the day actually we found out that we were having a little girl, um, which changed everything as well, you know, and it, immediately it, it brought connection and, you know, have a little girl we ha- we're having a little girl it, you know even the way you would think about it you know she's still there she's still our baby you know at 19 20 weeks is when she really started moving too um she was a wriggler um and you know when we were waiting in the rating room signing this consent form that just felt so unnatural to sign a consent form saying you were okay with these doctors you know doing this procedure was was just so surreal and so horrific. Um, but, yeah, we were waiting in the waiting room. She was wriggling around. I was saying, you know, do I tell James that she's wriggling around? Maybe maybe he'll want to feel a, a, a kick. Maybe he won't. Maybe that's too hard. But I can feel it. Maybe it's selfish of me not to share it. And I did. I say she's, she's wriggling and I could see the pain on his face and him not knowing what to do. And um, that day was tough. And then having... Um, a couple of days knowing that she had passed away before I, I could go ahead with the labour. We needed a little bit of time. Um, Karina, were you, did you go home after did, that? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So that was just, actually it wasn't that long, that procedure. I think we were in and out within an hour. My mum and my sister were waiting outside um, of the hospital and, yeah, I think for me faces are scarred in my brain seeing my sister and my mum just so, so heartbroken for James and I um, and knowing what had just happened and, um, yeah, going home 
was yeah it was all very numb very numbing by that by that stage yeah did you find yourself dissociating from what was unfolding or, um, or were you present in it i think i was i think i was present in it then um but i was also yeah i just i just i was exhausted by that stage too because it was after you know quite a while of waiting for more information hoping praying um i think that you know, I knew that I just had to, well, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You have to keep going. You do the steps. I just wanted it to be over though. Yeah. James and I both wanted this nightmare over. But I also, it was such a conflicting feeling because I didn't want her to go. I didn't want to let her go. Um, yeah, it's a very, very strange feeling to experience. Are you okay talking about the labour? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm very blessed in that my husband is a really funny man and um, I think that's why I love him and, you know, this is a the saddest, most horrific experience I hope that we will ever go through. But, you know, he he brought light through through this time. He, um, yeah, and he was, he was always hopeful as well and I think once we made the decision and we knew what, we were checking into the worst hotel we'd ever go into um you know we we were like okay we, we we can do this together and you know he the times that I would get scared he would crack a joke I think you know it's a dark humor thing you have to go through to to get to to be able to survive and to to process what's about to happen um he was incredible um the you know we checked in to the hospital going into the birth suite which you know you go in and you're just like this is not where we're not supposed to be here yet never expected we're to not be supposed here. to be here yet and not like this not like this um they take you well we got take this beautiful hospital with you know the midwives are amazing we get taken to I think you said the the sad room or the bad room um which is a beautiful room you know it's a big um beautiful view um but you know just didn't want to be there um but also wanted to be there and get it done and get out I just I think as soon as we walked in the door we were just wanted to get out um so we we were in there um I'd had um some medication the night before which softens um your body I you'll know the term better than I will um but your body's not really ready to have a, a natural labour by that stage it's not it's not ready so you have medication that softens everything um and then they give you more medication which will bring on the labour which happened at about eight o'clock um I had that medication um nothing really happened until lunchtime so that was a you know strange few hours James and I just sitting in there flicking mindlessly on the tv yeah what are you supposed to what do? are you supposed to do you know um, my sister said, you know, James eats a lot. He's like, she's like, take some snacks. He's going to be hungry. You know, those kind of things. So we're like, I'll never eat lemon slice ever again. We had lemon slice. It's so weird. It's, I guess, not thinking about what was about to happen. Um, yeah, by just after lunchtime, it started getting pretty painful. Um, I had some gas, which... Even now, after having a little boy in natural labour, it doesn't gas doesn't do anything for me. It just made me feel a bit sick. So um, I, do, I was like, "This isn't doing anything. It's really painful." I, I didn't 
I didn't think it was going to be this painful. Um, I, I, you know, they suggested maybe I have an epidural. Um, but along the way, I'm not sure if it was that day or beforehand, I, I think I was given the information an epidural could potentially slow things down and I wanted out of there. So I, I didn't want an epidural, I just wanted it over. So you soldiered on? I soldiered on um, with James and, yeah, James will describe it a little bit differently but when um, I just, yeah, it was intense pain um, but also it's a pain that I wanted I think I needed a physical pain by that stage because I just, it's a very, very um, difficult thing to describe, but I, I wanted a physical pain, I think, and I, um, just to feel, just to feel that, okay, this is happening. What do you remember about your baby mm. when you first saw her? Yeah, well, you know, before, before going in, James and I had spoke um, about what we were going to do because you are presented all these different options, which I again we I don't know, I don't know what's I don't know what I didn't know what to do. James didn't know what to do, um, but I think after having a few days to process it, we um, decided that we would hold her um, and see her and. Um, as soon as she was delivered, I had a very overwhelming sense of peace, actually. Um, I kind of went from a panic and pain to a sense of peace. Um, I held her and she was perfect. She was tiny, but she was perfect. She looked normal. She looked like a little baby, which I think I was scared that she wouldn't look like that, um, but she did, which was a blessing because I, I think I was scared if she wasn't going to look like a you know, what you'd expect a little baby to look like. Um, but also that was hard because she looked she looked like she was fine. Um, yeah, it was amazing to hold her. Um, I think the hardest part of the experience was seeing James hold her. Um, you know, James, all he wanted was a little baby in his arms, but not like this. He had so much love but so much pain and he was, I think he was scared too, yeah. It was something that will stay with me forever. Did you choose to do anything else to capture Georgina's presence in that moment, like photos or footprints mm. or um, any acts of parenting? Look, we, we didn't. Um, again, I think just holding her for us, that was, are we going to do this? Um our midwife, who was amazing, she was just an older midwife and so motherly and loving. She she did footprints and handprints in, you know, the kit that you get at the end of the, the process. Um, she did that and took some photos. I actually had to go into surgery then and have my placenta removed because it didn't come naturally. But James, the whole time I was away from the room, held her, um, which was wonderful. Um, when I came back, I was pretty out of it on medication. So um, I didn't see her again until the next morning, really, when I woke up. Um, by that stage, James and I didn't really need to say much to each other, but we were ready um, to say goodbye to her then. In addition to everything you've been through, you know, um, having 
birthed a baby, there are some other things that happen to mum's bodies um, mm. in expectation that there's a, a live baby. Exactly, yeah. Were there things that needed to be managed in terms of your own body, yeah. in terms of minimising the, the ongoing trauma for you? Yeah, because um, Georgina was 21 weeks, I hadn't been to any of the birth classes. I didn't. I hadn't done that much reading, so I didn't really know what the afterbirth would look like. I didn't know what that, I knew that they'd be bleeding, but I didn't really know what that meant. Um, you really do go through the same process as if you've had a uh, full-term birth. Um, so I think I, yeah, bled for eight or nine weeks, six, seven, eight, nine weeks. Um, but you are given injections to prevent your milk coming in. Um, I was having injections in my tummy, I feel like, every couple of hours. Um, I We ended up even though we wanted to be in and out of there, we ended up staying a couple of nights um, just to recover properly. Yeah, I think maybe it was also a good thing staying an extra night because um, I remember really clearly the second night, poor James is exhausted. Um, so he was he was asleep um, in the horrible chair that they give you um, and I could not sleep. It was about. I think I was waiting for the, my last injection that they were. I knew they were going to give me at about two o'clock in the morning, so I was just lying there. And a, a lovely midwife came in and um, knew that I was I was struggling in, internally, and just um, she went out of the room and came back with a cup of tea, a box of tissues, and just said, "Now's a good time. If you just want to let it out, you can. You just let it out." Um, and I needed that because I'm not one to let it out. Um, and I think, you know, that's part of the process too, just the initial shock of being like, that's just happened. She's not in the room. They wheeled her out. What was I supposed to do in that moment? Did I do the right thing? Did we hold her the right way? Did we have her long enough? Because you are given all these scenarios and and pamphlets. I don't want to read a pamphlet about what to do. I want someone to tell me what to do. And sometimes the people that hold space for you and supporting you through, as you say, the, the most horrific experience you expect to go through, small things can really go a long, long way. Mm. So holding that space for you, giving you a cup of tea, allowing you that space to just yeah turn on the waterworks, yeah. start the process, yeah. you know, like... They are really angels. Yeah, they are. They're amazing. Um, I think, you know, everyone that comes in um, just has something um, so special about them. I, don't, I really don't understand how they do it. As horrible and horrific as it was, um, they made it beautiful. Going home, mm. Karina, mm. what did that look like for you guys? Oh, that's when it really sinks in that you're back to square one with this heartache. Um, you know, we went home to an empty house. I just, you know, started ordering things for the nursery. So I think the next day actually when we got home, we had a cot arrive. Um, you know, it's just so horrible, so lonely, um, even though, you know, James and I were going through it together. It's really, it's a really lonely space. And had you experienced 
grief in your no, life like I, this? Was it was no. it something you were familiar no. with? So again, so so blessed that I haven't. Um, you know, I just had had not experienced anything like this before. Um, and James James hadn't either. This was just a whole new rawness. I you know, I remember just physically, you know, crying with this pain in every every part of my body and just not knowing how to control it. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't that person. I I wasn't very good at expressing emotion. I would hold it in and bottle it, bottle it, bottle it up and it would sometimes explode in, you know, a moody fight or something like this. But this was just I I, I couldn't get this so I wanted to get this sorrow out of me and I, I couldn't. Um, and it was really, really raw for a long time. I think it was a week that James and I were at home together and that, oh, it felt like six months. It was so, the days were long. What do we do? What are you supposed to do on these days? Do we watch TV? Do we talk? What do we talk about? Like, what, do, I'm not hungry. Are we supposed to, yeah, it was just so weird. But we, you know, we had, you know, beautiful friends and family that would, you know, leave things on the doorstep, you know, the cards, the notes, we were inundated, we were surrounded, even though we weren't, you know, seeing their faces, we just hear the tip taps on the doorstep and um, we were surrounded and we knew, we knew we were not alone. Mm. Yeah. And even though it's, yeah, as you say, I keep going back to it, the worst thing you ever expect to go through mm knowing you're surrounded by love, you know, mm. can can really take the edge off. It really does. It really does. And just, you know, the hampers of food, the slippers that you're sent, um, the thoughtful cards, people that are not afraid to acknowledge what's happened. I think that was very, very important. Um, you know, it's very difficult. I, I wouldn't have known what to say to me. I still wouldn't really know what to say to someone. Well, I do, you know, now, but I, I, I think it's a really tricky, tricky thing to navigate. What, what were some of those notes that um, held space for you? What I, did they say? I think just acknowledging her um, and that we had a little girl and um, one um, wonderful family friend wrote a beautiful note uh, handwritten note to James and I, and he he said how he how he thought about Georgina, and really, um, you know, it was just very very touching, just for, for people to um, express how they were feeling too, and they acknowledged that we were going to have a little girl, and we had a little girl, and just their their wordings around it um, was was really important in your grief journey. Did you reach out for professional help at any stage? Um, I, I, I didn't want to. <laughs> um, I don't know why, uh, really, because I'm the first person to tell someone to go and get help and talk it out. Um, I think I, uh, I was just a bit angry, didn't want to have to tell my story to someone I didn't know. Um, but I, I did, I think, uh, maybe four or five months later or when we were trying again, um, I went and, um, seeked some, some help. Yeah. Yep. And was that more about setting up 
the tools to go into the next pregnancy, you know, with your head on as straight as possible. That's right, yeah. And I think it was more so um, trying to get tools for not um, becoming too obsessed as well. Um, James and I um, made the decision pretty much the day we got home that we we would try again. Um, We knew that we were going to be heartbroken forever about what we'd experienced, but having another baby wouldn't take that away. So we... We, we thought, why not just try straight away? And also maybe it was something for, I know it was something for me to focus on and just you know, I describe it as this horrible um, game of snakes and ladders where, you know, you're back, you're back to the bottom again and you, you, you're starting to try again. And I think I went to seek help to get tools not to really, um, yeah, focus too much of my energy on it become, you know, more disappointed, you know, if we weren't going to um, get pregnant straight away again and just, yeah, to help me with that process really. Time passes, mm-hmm. Karina, and you find yourself pregnant with Edward. Yes. What did that pregnancy feel like for you? Um, a completely different experience initially. I think the first time with Georgina when we found out we were pregnant it was excitement and oh, this is happening. How how amazing. And straight away, you know, imagining being pregnant and planning out names and, you know, the normal the normal first time parenting kind of thing. But with Edward, um, you see a positive which is good because that's what we wanted, but also filled with fear, filled with anxiety, filled with is this is this is this going to happen? Is this the one? Um, it was, it was very a very different experience initially. Um, I think every appointment when I went into the obstetrician, I was just expecting something to be wrong, expecting um, for her to find something or for a test to come back with an answer we don't want. Um, so yeah. even though. You know, on paper, this pregnancy was going going by the book. Mm. There was still that feeling of dread and and inability to enjoy it. That's right. Um, and I would say, probably up until he was in our arms, I felt like that. Actually, even especially at the end, I was like, "We're so far. Something's go- something's going to happen. I just it can't be real." I, I and I think. You know, I have great friends and especially my beautiful business partner and, and friend that I work with, um, I think she knew that I, I, I wasn't wanting to talk about my pregnancy every day and, you know, get excited. Um, I wanted to concentrate on work because I think if I let my mind, yeah, go into what could be and when you were having a little boy and talking about names too much that I would spiral and go to bad places. So let's talk about that a bit mm-hmm. more because, you know, uh, being close to term, you get a lot of questions sometimes yeah. from strangers in the community. Yeah. Um, that make a lot of assumptions. Yeah. Was, was, is it, was that a trigger for you? Oh, absolutely. And still is today. Um, you know, if I'm carrying around a baby, but especially, you know, having a baby bump, is this your first? That's the question I never wanted. Is this your first? Um, what 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 do you say? Yeah, every day is different. Um, you know, if you're at the hairdresser and they say, "Is this your first? It's kind of like, oh. <laughs> do you want the real answer? Because 
I, I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable and I don't want to get upset. Um, but if I, and some days I do say, yep, as soon as I do that, I, my, my stomach sinks because it's not, um, but I, I do that to, um, I guess, gloss over, you know, something that's pretty horrific, um, which a hairdresser was just being polite, really. She didn't really care about the answer. <laughs> she was just asking. And what do you remember about meeting Edward for the first time? Um, this was, yeah, wonderful. I was, you know, I think a lot of people describe a cesarean as very clinical and medical, but I just was so excited in, in there. And, you know, I know it's a very day-to-day job for the doctors and the anaesthetists and everything, and I think they were talking about going to the footy and, you know, and I was just like waiting, waiting, waiting while, you know, they're prepping and um, it's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, the whole time. And, it yeah, it just seemed like an everyday thing to them and I I knew that we were getting close and she was about to, to pull him out and I was waiting for a cry, waiting, waiting, waiting for something, for a noise, so I knew he was okay and waiting for my obstetrician to say, he's here, he's healthy, he's beautiful, and she said, he's got red hair. I'm like, what? <laughs> Sorry? <A> redhead. <laughs> he's got, she goes, he's got ginger, bright ginger hair, and I looked at James who was peeking over. I was like, Where's this come from? And that was, yeah, we laughed and um, cried. Thinking back on the last few years, Karina, how do you think your loss of Georgina has changed you as a person? Um, it's it's changed um, me a lot. Um, I think that... I had a big whack of uh, perspective on life and what was important and my values. I really appreciate the little things and the little moments a lot more than I did. As I said, you know, in that scanning room, we were just, we took that moment for granted. Um, So now I, I really, really try and focus on the little things in life and Edward. And how do you commemorate or remember your special little girl? Mm, this one's um, pretty tricky. I it's still it's still really difficult for me. I um, I always acknowledge her and talk about her, but I it's 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 not it's not in a way that. Um, you know, is, is easy. I think, or not, it's not easy for anyone, but I I feel like James speaks about her in a way where he's like, brings her up in day-to-day things with Edward, um, or, um, just different moments. Whereas as soon as I hear her name, you know, my body tenses, um, that's something I'm, I'm going to go and seek help for now because I, 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 I know it's going to be a time thing, um, potentially, but it still it still sickens me and it makes me really sad and especially having Edward thinking of what we could have had is really tough. So every anniversary that comes around, Christmas, birthday, her due date, um, is is tough. Um, we we buried her um, on my in laws' farm at a beautiful tree, and on those those dates we do go for a walk up the back um, and just have a moment up there. Which you know I go quiet and can't really say much, but James just talks with so much love and joy, which I hope one day I have. You know I know it's tough for him to do that, but 
yeah, it's it's still something that we're navigating. And had anyone in your family had a stillbirth before that you could somehow relate your own experience yeah. to? Um, well, I think this is also why I'm here today. Um, my granny, who I was very, very close to, um, she, with her first baby, had a stillbirth full term. Um, and I knew she had, I didn't really know what that meant growing up, um, until maybe I was a little bit older. And all I remember about her talking about it was it was still raw, like it happened yesterday. She had heartbreak in her eyes and her voice every time it was brought up. And she had a a gorgeous baby boy who was, yeah, full term totally healthy. There was just a complication with the birth. And, you know, those days it was a very different procedure, what it was for me. You know, I was given options. I was given time. Um, She never got to see her little baby. Um, It was in and out, really. Um, The midwives whisked him away. She never got the option. It's it's truly unimaginable. Mm. Thank goodness. Mm. Thank goodness Mm. we have started to understand how to support families mm. going through this traumatic loss. Exactly, exactly, yeah. What do you wish the community knew about stillbirth? Um, I think, um, you know, now being in it, I think stillbirth, there's a big range what, you know, that encapsulates, whether it's an uh, earlier stillbirth or a later stillbirth, um, you know, miscarriage is different again and I think the process of stillbirth is the the labour that you go through and, you know, being able to hold your baby and see your baby and name your baby. Um, I think, you know, James put it in a way um, which I, I'm like, okay, oh, I think that's that's how I feel is a miscarriage, I would, I would say a pregnancy loss which causes so much trauma and so much heartache. Um, I think a stillbirth is a death, a death of your child, baby that you can hold and see. Um, yeah, it's a tangible. It's tangible, yes. And it, look, I'm not taking away from miscarriage because that is truly, truly painful. Um, but it's, you know, and even my story is different to, you know, a full-term stillbirth. And um, I, I think there's just, yeah, a bit more um, conversation that needs to be had about the different stages. And even within that, everyone's experience is very unique and personalised. Absolutely. And, and no two stories are the same. Absolutely. And I, I really do feel that, you know, I haven't come across anyone that doesn't mean well and that doesn't want to say the right thing and be supportive. However, there are certain things that can be triggering, um, you know, misuse of certain words or terms that... What sort of things? Um, yeah, maybe calling what we went through a miscarriage. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't. Maybe they didn't know or, um, you know, asking me if I feel better now I've got Edward. Um, no, I still lost a baby and went through that. Um yeah, but as I said, everyone, you know, means well. But also I think it's, you know, as tough as it was, it's really important to acknowledge that you went through it um, and, and if you know someone that has, when you see them to bring it up. Look, some days I don't want to talk about it, but I'll never be um, angry or sad at someone that brings it up because at least they remember. What would you 
say to yourself looking back on those mm-hmm. moments or, or to another couple going through something um, that you and James faced? What, what would your advice or, or words of support mm, like? I think that you at the time, you know, James and I questioned all the time, how will we get through it? And you do. You do. You have to. There's no choice. Um, and it does, it does with time um, get easier in the fact that you think about maybe the um, what you went through a bit differently, a bit more with, with love. You can take some of that pain away and just think, you know, we had a beautiful baby girl or a beautiful baby boy and, um, you know, acknowledge, acknowledge that in a, in, a, in a different way to the panic and the shock of it initially when you're going through it, it can just seem so, so um, horrible to think how am I going to ever get through life? How am I going to get through my day to day? How am I going to go back to work? How am I going to see people that saw me really pregnant and now all of a sudden I don't have that baby? Um, But each day, you know, people say each day gets better and, you know, I used to roll my eyes, but it really does. Time, time heals. I'm so grateful you can share your story. Oh, thank you. And, um, you know, I just, I think I really want to thank my husband here because, you know, I feel very blessed that we are united in in our grief and that we um, now can raise a beautiful Edward um, and remember Georgina with, with our hearts. Oh, my goodness, Alex. What a moving story. The way Karina just shared the depth of her emotions and the way she paints a picture of what every step looked like and felt like, you know, I don't want to overuse the word brave, but it's the thing that comes to mind. Mm. Just mm. spoke so openly about the rawness of yeah. her and James's experience. Absolutely. And both you and I have looked after, sadly, a lot of women who have lost their babies but there was elements to that story that I've never thought about and never acknowledged how difficult it must be for these women to go through those steps. When she describes what it felt like to be in that ultrasound room in that moment and what it felt like to walk into the place where she didn't want to be to to administer that injection to to end Georgina's life, it's... It's, it's mind-blowing how difficult that must be and the bravery, as you said, for her to show that and share that was, was beautiful. And the conflicting emotions she describes, you know, the tension between wanting that nightmare to be mm. over but then not wanting to let go of her baby Georgina. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, it's a situation that no no mother and no no parent would want to find themselves in but – they were clearly such a strong couple, um, Karina and James, and they, they got through it together and made made what was the right decision. Um, however, it in no, no way was easy and continues to not be easy. It really it really hit me how how it's impacted on the rest of her life and the rest of her pregnancies in every way. Yeah, she talked about her and James being really united in their grief and mm. um you know, in some ways, that that love was the thing that carried her. Yeah, that was through beautiful. through the um, challenges. Yeah, one thing Karina did, did we didn't talk about um, in the interview, but Karina has, you know, unbelievably after that trauma, went through a second pregnancy loss. Um, her second pregnancy was a miscarriage at about twelve weeks, 
And so at that point she'd gone through two, you know, unimaginably hard things. And and so, in fact, Edward was actually Karina's third pregnancy. I really appreciated the way she talked about early pregnancy or, you know, becoming pregnant and then holding on to the pregnancy as a game of snakes and ladders. Yeah, and that was great. You roll the dice, maybe some friends go up the ladders and then you you roll your own dice and it's a bit of a shit roll and you go back down to the beginning. Yeah, you slide right back down to where yeah. you started. Yeah. yeah. Pretty powerful analogy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If you or someone you know has been affected by stillbirth, there are a few resources that people may find helpful. Stillbirthfoundation.org.au, stillaware.org, thesands.org.au and, of course, when it comes to mental health, we always mention Panda and Beyond Blue. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for today. If you got something out of this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Also, we love hearing from you. If you have feedback or suggestions, email us at pregnancy.uncut at gmail.com or you can find us at pregnancyuncut.com or on Instagram. If you or someone you know wants to share their story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Talk soon.